0: Hello and welcome, listeners, to our podcast, Taking Chances, with me, Anupama Bhalla, and my co-host, Sohila Joshi. We have with us today a compulsive storyteller, someone whose work ranges from academic non-fiction to relationship dramas. That's quite the repertoire. She has taken many chances in her creative career and has her own unique views about many things— Books, women, life, mythology, and more. And she says it quite like it is. Let's meet Coral Das Gupta, a compulsive chance taker and a master of words. Hi, Coral. It's great to have you with us here today
1: absolutely same here anupama and uh, soela and it's so nice that you have started this uh, beautiful venture yeah we are really enjoying it and
0: we are really happy to have you here with us so thanks so much same here so if i know you coral you have taken full advantage of this lockdown and you must have furiously written tons of things i'm sure of that am i right
1: <laughs> yes that is the only thing that i am capable of
0: doing yeah yeah because you are always writing when i speak with you So just tell us, uh, when did you start writing and was there something specific that led you down this path or it was just an interest you always had?
1: Okay, you know, I uh, come from a very typical Bengali background and in Bengal, if you are not reading and writing, then you are an idiot. They expect you to take up writing very seriously, but then they don't necessarily expect you to take up writing professionally. Hmm. So uh, there are only three kinds of professions that I remember from my childhood that we had. One is a doctor, one is an engineer, and third <laughs> is an idiot. So if you are not a doctor or an engineer, you are an idiot. So no I am an point. idiot. Uh, I tried uh, appearing for JEE, and uh, that was the time when uh, dilto To Pagal Hai had released. So after <laughs> writing half of the physics paper, I played. Uh, but uh, happily, that uh, Dilto To Pagal Hai thing, which is uh, that, that by when I say thing, I mean Charu Khan, happened to be my all-time muse. And uh, by the time I had grown up a little and uh, stopped, uh, not stopped, but uh, I have been a little more uh, restrained in my fangirling, I was looking at uh, this entire uh, brand personality thing from a different perspective because I was uh, teaching management. And in you know, those days, you don't have enough gray hairs. Uh, you are not taken seriously in the academic environment. So. Uh, even when uh, I went with full preparations, uh, I could feel that this thing And the second reason is uh, after one year of catch, uh, catch with all kinds of uh, predictable brands, uh, by the time they came to second year and entered my course, which was consumer behavior, they, the students got a little uh, disoriented. So I knew that I had to give them something extra. And uh, I introduced Bollywood in Classroom. So I was talking about why Salman Khan is the uh, face of, uh, you know, Big Boss and why Uvrat Singh for thirty plus and stuff like that. And uh, those lectures actually caught up very well. And uh, I was uh, called Shahrukh Wali Ma'am in my college because I brought Shahrukh in a big way because he was a marketing master rather than an actor. I was basically jotting down the classroom lectures Because a lot of discussions happened impromptu. And I was doing my research to figure out whether my hypothesis, uh, how strong is my hypothesis? So uh, during that phase, after uh, when I was seriously taking those notes down on paper is when I realized that, okay, this is actually becoming a reference material for consumer behavior and it can become a book. So that was how my uh, first book shaped up, which is Power of a Common Man. Uh, which is actually a consumer behavior analysis of Shahrukh Khan's career from the consumer point of view, not from the actor's point of view. So that was when my formal uh, writing had started, and I was sure that nobody will take it, but weslin took it. Wow, this is,
0: this is really interesting. Yeah, you got Shahrukh to thank for your writing, maybe in a way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, moving on, Coral.
1: Uh, uh, you know, we all know that words matter. Words have great power, and they can actually make a, you know change happen. So what was an early experience where you learned that language had power?: You know, when I was small, uh, I had working parents, and we were a nuclear family, though the extended family was very close by, and I would go to their places often. And I had great, I had great memories of spending time together with my family, the huge family that I, I had in Calcutta but i had a lot of time when i would be at home alone both parents out and only uh, almira full of books for company
0: hmm.
1: and uh, that was something that came to me very naturally because my mother is a very very uh, you know voracious reader uh, of bengali literature primarily so i had uh, a lot of things to read uh, I had fat translations of uh, the epics, which always, all my uh, summer holidays mm-hmm. and winter holidays started with me taking those out first and reading a few. And then uh, reading other things that she had. Uh, I remember reading Maxim Gorky, Mother. Mm-hmm. I remember reading uh, Sayyid Mustafa Ali, uh, Sayyid Mustafa shiraz on, uh, you know, different kinds of partition stories, which were uh, very, very touching. In my house, we were, uh, the I mean, we have a history of both my grandfathers running away from uh, Bangladesh during partition. So that was another source, my grandfather's and my grandmother's uh, downpour because I was interested and I would ask. So uh, I grew up with all those kind of, you know, the constant uh, feeding. And then uh, when I was, uh, I think, uh, in school, probably in class seven or so, My uh, mommy gifted me uh, the entire collection of Shukumar Ray's poems. Not just poems, but uh, his uh, short stories, his uh, plays. It was a complete collection. And Shukumar Ray, who is the father of uh, Satyajit Roy, his writing was typical comedy. You just read it and you fall off the chair. But as you grow up, you realize that those are actually social satires. When you read, you don't realize. When you think later that what he had written, you find that those are social and political satires, very strong ones, a slap on the face. All these things, you know, they have their own uh, things to do. They literally uh, hammer your brain in a particular way. My mother actually slapped me into this habit of writing a diary. So I did. During my graduation, I had been to Bishop Haipati Chanmpaketen, that is where I have done my graduation. And I would voraciously write. Uh, my diary. I would fill it uh, because there were lots of things that were happening at that time. And I want to capture Shantini Ketan in, in my diary. In fact, a lot of that diary has made into my second book, which is Fall Winter Collections. Other than the protagonists, everything else is true. The shops, the post office, the rikshawalas. You ask, language has power? I mean, you know, everything has power, every kind of expression. I'll tell you mm. that in Shantini Ketan, there was this rickshawwala. In Bengal, the rickshaw, we mean the ones that are pulled by hand or Right. Yes. right. So uh, that guy would uh, pull his rickshaw all day and at night, uh, after eight, he would not take any passenger. He would sit and play the flute. And Shantiniketan happened to be more of a countryside. So even in our mess, which was quite a distance away, At night, we would hear him playing the flute and we knew who was playing the flute. Those things had a very, very deep impact on me. I could see that one person can actually reject passenger. He didn't have enough, but it was just like he didn't want it. He just wanted money for sustenance. Rest was all about his expression. He wanted to explore himself. And a person of that caliber had that talent and uh, could do that could, you know, look beyond his daily rosy roti. Mm. Those had very, very strong influence on me, I believe. With uh, digital platforms readily available, the tradition of reading books is taking a hit, particularly amongst children. Koral, how do you think we can bring reading back? You know, uh, I mean, I don't agree to that because for my books, there are readers and that is why I'm getting published. If I don't get okay. readers, I would not be published. There are still readers. Uh, there are still people who love to read and there are voracious readers. What happens is, what you say, OTT culture, cinema, or uh, digital viewing, those are more popular media, which is absolutely true. Those are popular media driven by bigger influences than the writing and reading world. So they are spoken about more. There is a digital marketing machinery that plays towards that which uh, amplifies those voices far more than otherwise. There are very few people in uh, Bollywood, for that matter, who read. So they do talk about uh, reading books. There's Sonam Kapoor, there's uh, uh, Kunal Kapoor, who are known to be voracious readers. There's Saif Ali Khan. But they're not talking about reading all the time. That is not their cause. They read it as, because they love reading it. They talk it, talk about it when it is in context. But their context is films. They are not full-time readers. So reading as a whole, as a, uh, as a part of your daily ritual doesn't get spoken about because reading is not a profession. So you try to talk about your profession more, you try to sell yourself more. And when you sell yourself more, reading can come as a part of your brand building. But it is not a holistic part of your brand building. It is only an intellectual part of your brand building. right? Mm. So uh, it gets a little sidelined in terms of talking about it to that extent. But I don't feel that the uh, habit has gone down because even I remember in my childhood, there were a lot who read. But then that was a fraction of people. So there were, in my class itself, there were people, we were a handful who loved reading. And there were a major chunk of people who didn't and who would say things like, uh, who would borrow books. Okay, Uh, uh, I can give you that example. There uh, there was this guy who borrowed a book and when he returned after many reminders, (laughs) uh, a little part of a page was torn and I was very angry. And he said, you have so many books, so what's going So, you know, such people existed then, such people exist now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I used to hate people who doggy ears on books.
1: Yeah, all (laughs) of that. So, uh, you know, I mean, today people are talking more about a lot of things, but the popular media gets spoken about more compared to this uh, reading and writing media. Those are uh, more robust in terms of digital marketing strategies and they make better sense. So probably we see the difference.
0: right? That's an interesting point of view. Yeah. So Coral, uh, you obviously have grown up with some amazing influences, you know, with the people around you and the books that you got to read and were made to read. You know, uh, I probably had a wholly different reading experience growing up, but that was the traditional side of it. But you have also been a very, uh, you've been an early starter when it came down to digital content, crowdsourcing, etc. you know, with your, with your website. How did that come to be and uh, you know where is it today? Oh, tell
1: me your story was started uh, totally uh, out of my passion. I didn't have business in mind at all when I started it. I knew that there are lots of stories which don't get heard because uh, people don't know how to say and people didn't know where to say. So this was a platform. I mean, as I said that uh, I have in my family a history of... Uh, Migration from Bangladesh to India and those who are very, very uh, difficult and hard hitting stories. But right. I am an author. I might articulate them. There are people who aren't authors, but they also have such hard hitting stories. What happens to those? So, uh, from that thought, I had started telling our story to just let people speak, let people talk, let them write. And of course, I believe that when you write, you read. When you read, you write. It's there's a vice versa relationship. When I started with that, there were I got stupendous response. A lot of people jumped in to write, and right. they required little bit of uh, handholding, which we did at that time. We still do. After that, as we grew, uh, I realized that I am talking about a completely digital medium, which needs less investment because we are not printing and uh, putting it together. So it needs yeah. uh, less investment, but there was a huge chunk of people, you know, who didn't believe in that model. They believe that, uh, I mean, I spoke to lots of people and they say that digital, I mean, it might reach out, but it's not a fair business model. It doesn't happen like that. Uh, what you are doing can be a passion, but it can never be anything bigger than that. So I was uh, suffering that mind block and that mindset of people and I suffered it, it for a long time. But when 2020 happened, everything that I was telling happened by itself and mm-hmm. people woke up and a lot of things that was not happening to me earlier happened now because uh, such was the effect of the environment. And so we immediately, you know, we just uh, uh, suddenly, uh, you know, fountained out. We made some changes. We introduced a lot of new concepts. And those concepts were such that as we went through, as we pushed ourselves forward, we figured that uh, there are other ways of doing that. So we only moved forward. And uh, today we have a global networking system that is a part of telling your story. And uh, we are doing it all together. And the world has reduced into a completely local uh, village. And uh, we are talking to each other we are telling each other what to do and uh, we are sharing ideas and we are talking collaboration so this I see as a very interesting time for me and for content as a whole
0: yeah I can seriously vouch for that you've got a very well populated site and I personally go there to read all the ghost stories there are tons (laughs) of them and some very very good poetry so has it all been a rewarding experience for you as you said 2020 and it all came together what you've been talking about so has it been rewarding for you as well as all the people who posted content on the site? Uh,
1: you know, it has been very hectic. It has been very draining. At the same time, it has been very, very satisfying. Because uh, I was suddenly into a world which didn't have barriers. Nobody was telling me that unless or until you go there, it, won't, it would happen. Nobody was telling me that face-to-face meeting is required. Otherwise, things don't happen. Uh, Zoom came into the picture. So a lot of things started happening more seriously, and as for tel- I mean, I very consciously don't market myself on Tell Me Your Story. I have never done that. I have kept my personal writing profile completely uh, detached from Tell Me Your Story. That is something I have. Uh, I use uh, only to promote new voices. Uh, but personally, what I have gained is when you see people writing stories or when you ri- uh, read. And especially these, most of these are new voices who are trying to get themselves heard. Starting writing, you get to see their mind. Because, you know, today that I have written five books and my sixth is going up, I have become a little manipulative in my language and expression. It happens. You start thinking in terms of what works and what doesn't. But when you write for the first time, you are not thinking of, of that. You just have something to say and you say You just tell the story. You don't think of whether people will like it. And when you read such stories, you actually get to see the history of the moment. Because each and every story that is happening right now is documenting the history of this era. So I'll give you an example of what I mean. There was one Diwali when we had asked for Diwali themed stories. And many of these writers who contributed are a part of my social media. So I could see that they are having placard parties and uh, they're having good dinner. They are ha- with their family, but there were eight stories that had come for Diwali and all were dark stories. Mm, so, you know, it tells me about the people that if they're talking about some dark thing, if they're talking about poverty, if they're talking about some kind of misrepresentation, some kind of uh, unkind gesture, then probably people are asking questions about their own uh, contribution to the society and people are somewhere not happy. Mm. And that probably they themselves don't know. But when you write a story, it's your subconscious talking. Mm. When you talk, it's your conscious talking. So when you are writing, your uh, subconscious comes to the fore and you are often not in control. So that actually gives me a lot of, I mean, as a researcher, I am uh, deeply indebted to tell me your story. In terms of getting to know people and getting to know their sensitivities. like you said, you know, you've got a few books now behind you, and uh, and you are coming up again, you know, with a new book. But your first book, I'm sure, you wouldn't have forgotten. I mean, in that sense, that's your first baby. But how frustrating was the wait? Because I know that this it's not easy, and you know, to get your first book out. I'm hoping it becomes easier. But how frustrating was the wait for you to get your first novel published? Tell us a little bit about that. First book was Power of a Common Man. So uh, I was riding on Shah back and it very easily went through Westland. I didn't even have to wait for uh, two months. Within two months of writing, Westland had taken it. First novel was Fall Winter Collections. Uh, after uh, Power of a Common Man, I got in touch with a lot of uh, publishers and I mean, I got started getting known uh, because I was, given that the book was on Shah Rukh, uh, a lot of people were covering, a lot of people were reviewing, talking about it. And it was a good book. So a lot of publishers came by themselves. They started talking and one of them was Neogi. And my second book was uh, Fall Winter Collections, which is a novel. It is about the romantic journey of a sculpture in Chandigarh. As I said that only the protagonists were... Uh, fictional rest everything was non fiction so uh, niyogi is a bengali group and doing a lot of amazing work uh, in terms of fiction and non fiction publishing and uh, they took it up because it went with uh, their you know publishing list very well mm. they were trying to understand or they were trying to pick up such narratives uh, from bengal so, this sculptor that I'm talking about is a Rajasthani sculptor who has landed in Shantiniketan Ketan with a secret desire to sculpt uh, Krishna's six women. So, uh, this book initially, in a very comic way, shows of what, of what a non Bengali landing up in Bengal would face. And, you know, uh, among that entire Bengali culture, he's absorbing, he is detesting. At times, he's like, oh my God, what to do with this entire table full of Mithai that they have put on the table and saying that you must have it. So those were some really funny things. And how does a non-Bengali look at Bengal, Bengalis and the Bengal culture? Those were interesting things which had been a part of the book and near we had uh, lapped it up. So basically, you know, with my books, I didn't have to wait much. What I can say with re- uh, regards to your question is my third book, which is uh, Rasya, The Dance of Desire. That is something that I consider my arrival book because the two before that probably uh, were things that got written, uh, I don't know uh, how to put it, but Rasiya is something that I had really, really, it has my blood, my uh, sweat, my soul. It is a love triangle between Bharatanatyam dancers and it took me immense research. It took me a lot of time and uh, in fact, uh, I had written that book for three years without even telling the publishers that I'm doing something like this. And uh, later it was taken by Rupa. So, uh, again, with Ahalya, which is my fifth book, I remember I had given it to two publishers and uh, they were not interested. I had just left it, you know, thinking that Chalo, jab hoga tab hoga. I was working on other uh, books that I had in mind, other content. And... Uh, it so happened that I got a friend from the MD of Pan Macmillan on LinkedIn. And uh, he's a Bengali and we just started chatting and he asked, what are you writing? And uh, I had given him a one sentence pitch and that pitch was for a five book series. One sentence mm-hmm. pitch, truly, I'm not joking. Mm-hmm. And that uh, uh, it was a five book series. Uh, I was talking about my Ma- Alia was ready but I was talking about Panch Kanya series and uh, it got taken. So I Mm -hmm. think uh, every uh, thing has its time and when it's time, it doesn't stop. So One thing that I can tell you, which is non-diplomatic and very straight cut, is that nobody would reject publication, uh, a manuscript, if you have the audience. So, either you write a masterpiece or you have a ready-made audience. So, if you approach a publisher with a manuscript and you say that this is my audience, and uh, post-publication I guarantee that five thousand copies will be bought, uh, the publisher may not reject it.
0: So, uh, you know, as you said, Coyle, uh, your first book, uh, you know, keeping in mind the subject that you wrote about, and the fact that it was well received and well written, uh, you know, so you know, let me put it this way: you had a successful first novel. So, from a writing point of view, does that put pressure on you to produce an even better one the next time around? Or once you are accepted and established, it does become a little easier and that pressure eases off? So,
1: when I write, it, there is obviously a very big pressure to do better. Uh, today, Ahalya has done pretty well. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I am writing Kunti, I had, I mean, with every good review that Ahalya has got, I have had nightmares thinking that will I get the same for Kunti? One, because I have to uh, retain the same kind of writing standard or even better it. Mm -hmm. Second reason is Ahalya is more likable. Kunti is less likable. Yes. You know, Kunti uh, is a more uh, complicated woman. And uh, Ahalya is a more innocent woman. Our society loves innocence in women. They don't love ambitious women so kunti is an ambitious woman woman so there is an added pressure that how do i show kunti so that people understand and love and there is then again uh, there is a time when i have to slap myself and say that just come out of this thing and let kunti be the way she is so these things constantly you know they hammer your hammer the head and uh, you just uh, try to find a balancing ground that at some point of time i have to just stop and let kunti be you know the process of writing is uh, extremely exciting uh and the thing that uh you know i would love to know is where do you get the initial idea of a story how do you you know do you first think of a character then get into the story how does this whole whole process work till you reach uh you know till you move towards a published book so what's that process uh, that's a very uh, interesting thing that happens to me what happens is uh, there is suddenly uh, inspiration of a character and I start uh, building on that character. And then the story writes itself. It's like uh, when I'm on the table writing, I just allow, I have, I do certain exercises, which just allows the entire subconscious to take over. And uh, suppose that after two months, when I read it, I myself get astonished that, okay, I did. I really have so much in, in me. Did I really think like this? I mean, do I think like this? It, I'm not trying to boast that I had written masterpieces, but I'm trying to say that I didn't know there's so much inside me. And there is mm-hmm. so much inside all of us. Uh, if we give our subconscious a chance to uh, you know, take the uh, front seat, that is when those will come out. There is a process to it. When it comes to uh, the writing process, uh, yes, as I say that I do have a character in mind first thing. So, I'll tell you, when I was writing Rasya, uh, the protagonist is Rajshekar Subramanian. Uh, I had seen Rajshekar Subramanian in a very uh, well-known uh, actor. I'll not name the actor, uh, but I had seen that Rajshekar Subramanian in him. I just could feel that this is the guy and I want to write his story. Now, Rajshekar Subramanian doesn't have anything common with that guy. It was just the outer cast, the look of that person. Which just told me a lot about the character that I had in mind. I started watching that person's film a lot more than otherwise. And, uh, you know, literally got glimpses of uh, how this person would behave, how he would look when he is angry, how he would respond when he is happy. And those simple, small things, you know, uh, when you were at times when you were happy. Uh, you hug or at times when you are happy, you, there's a smile that on your face, which even you don't know that it's appeared. So all those things are a large part of observation. I did do that and I allowed myself to completely sink into this person's physical, uh, physicality and have a complete, I mean, get that uh, push from inside, trying to see Rajshikar Subramanian in that person. And, uh, when I sat uh, down on my table, a lot of things move by itself as i say that i don't plan my uh, stories i have uh, no uh, draft of you know those character graphs and uh, plot graphs i never have those it progresses as it does and the same happened with that and the same happens with all my books but yes what i do very strongly is uh, i push my subconscious to the extent that it can produce a lot of things that are not exactly in my control but definitely things that i believe in you know for all of us writers really have a strong voice so even if uh, so is it important for you to avoid conflict on a subject which you really you know close to you and you see around you uh, you know stuff that is being written or spoken which you know doesn't go with your way of thinking so you play a very writers poets artists play a very big role in you know shifting the narrative and, you know, making that change. So I want to know, uh, you know, how you go about, uh, you know, bringing that uh, change forward. Uh. When it comes to writing, for example, this uh, Panch Kanya series that I'm doing with Tan Macmillan right now, uh, the Sati series, what happened was uh, I have seen a lot of people talking uh, things like uh, epics are very uh, regressive towards women or they have, uh, Handled women with a lot of, uh, very unkindly they have handled women or their, uh, treatment, the, the mythological literature and its treatment towards women is very regressive, very unfair. And I was very much against it because I have been, as I say, that I have been very well read in, uh, comparatively well read. I shouldn't say very well read. I'm comparatively well read in mythological literature. And I, uh, did have a thorough understanding of uh, what that literature is i i didn't i don't have the knowledge of uh, reading uh, ramayana and Mahabharata in a comic format in class 3 i have done more than that so when such kind of narratives came up i was i mean there was a lot of agitation inside me i could feel enraged though i was not reacting and i was just uh, reading up stuff and i was just Taking those inside. And those things, you know, at some point of time, it came out uh, in the form of uh, the Panchkanya series, which will actually, in more ways than one, tell you that the epics have not treated women uh, regressively. Because Panchkanya is translated by uh, very, very learned scholars. It's not my translation, it has been translated by very learned scholars as five virgins yeah. so you are calling virgins to whom to ahilya mandodari tara you may or may not know everything but kunti and draupadi you call them virgins why would you call them virgins that means so many years ago there was a literature which refused to judge a woman by her body and judged her based on her uh, stability of mind they call these women virgins because Nobody could alter their the long term goal that they had, the stability that they had, the focus that they had. And since that faculty of a woman's brain was untouched, they have been called virgins. Isn't that something that we are constantly talking about today in our feminist debates? How can that literature be regressive? Regressive. And then when you look at the entire literature, trying to understand that what it had done, you figure that that literature is not regressive. That literature has traveled through various patriarchal eras and the retelling of that literature has been very, very regressive. We have been told as children that Ahalya had cheated or she was cheated and so she had a, she had to face the curse. So women who either do wrong or are wronged are cursed. So the woman must protect herself or be protected. You look at the story. When you read the story or when you read the literatures of epic, you figure that the stories have been told, but nobody has given the moral of the story in bullet points. Mm-hmm. They have left it on the perception of the reader. And when you mm-hmm. read it, there are n number of interpretations that can happen of the same story. One of mm-hmm. which I have given—that That is my voice. So,
0: there's so much coming your way and there's so much that you do. And I'm sure there's so much that you don't do because you don't have time. But how do you take that creative call that yes, this is a risk I can take or this is something I can do and this is something I should not do. So what are the principles you apply
1: to take that call? I don't decide, yeah. Okay. I'm a completely uh, emotion on the head person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So my heart uh, jumps above the head and takes the decision. So, uh, you know, uh, if there's something that someone comes to me and it just immediately catches my attention and uh, I just... Uh, feel that this is something that I want to do now, I just leave everything and do that. So uh, you will find me suddenly coming up with a painting. That is when probably I just had a vision in my mind and left everything else and done that for two days without caring about what happens to the other things that I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, uh, what works for me is I'm a little ahead of time in most of my work. Uh, because I know that uh, uh, that part of my uh, personality that I might just suddenly take a break. So uh, I keep myself a little ahead of time uh, and uh, I manage. But uh, I am not one of those who will take extremely well-thought decisions. You come to me and I am thinking that I'm oh, 20 minutes for this, 5 minutes for that. That just doesn't happen with me. It just comes 2 minutes. Having said that, you know, you are ahead of your time. So I think those are the creative risks actually you are taking because you are ahead of your time. So you really don't know how they will pan out. And uh, the other thing is that you write about historical figures. So what are the ethics uh, of writing about, uh, you know, history and, you know, women, um, you know, from those times? Are there any ethics that you have to follow as a writer? There is nothing that uh, anybody has told me, not even my publisher, but I had taken my own call that I will not distort the stories from their original. So that is a call that I had taken uh, on myself that when I introduce Ahlyakunti Drapadi Mandodari Tara, I will definitely take creative liberties in explaining them, but the original framework of the story as it appears in the epics will remain the same. I will only try to offer uh, interpretation within that framework, which makes you kind of think in a different way, right? I mean, for example, when I'm writing Kunti, we all mm. talk about Kunti from many different aspects. One of them being, mm. he's the one who abandoned Karna, right? That is the yeah. biggest yeah. problem that people have about Kunti. Yes. Now, if you look at it, Karna was the son of Surya right and Surya is the god that watches all right he can watch uh, he is observant of all three packets of time past present future so when Kunti abandoned Karna she didn't actually though symbolically she had let him go on Ganga because Ganga is god right one she had protect made sure that he was protected and in a very, uh, that chastity was there, and she had given the son. She had left the son under the watchful eyes of his father. Uh, there are a million such examples in epics, such instances where the father has left the child under the watchful eyes of the mother. Ram Sita mm. being one. There are so many, but. When it comes to Kunti, we were told that and we believed it. If you look, I mean, what if I tell you that she didn't leave the child to die? She has left the child to the father under the care of the father. What's wrong in that? Of course, that is not something that comes naturally to us uh, from the motherly instinct. But you explain, there are a number of explanations that you have. Why Kunti did it? Kunti was a queen, right? I mean, she was a princess. Hmm. And when you are a princess or when you are are from a Kshatriya, a Kshatriya faces a lot more brutality than that. Kunti had grown up in a Kshatriya environment. Brutality Mm -hmm. wasn't something new to her, right? And uh, probably who knew that if Karna was with her, someone else might have killed him because nobody would want a Kshatriya princess to be called an unwed mother. So mm-hmm. she may have actually protected Karna by doing that. So I am trying to draw attention towards that kind of narrative, which is there. But we were not told about it. We were told the other narrative. You have this stop. Very exciting and mammoth project, uh, you know the Sati series, uh, you know coming up, and you've uh, spoken uh, briefly about this. So tell us uh, about it, and what are your expectations, uh, you know, from it? What are you personally expecting the Sati series
0: to do, uh, you know, for readers and for yourself in that sense?
1: I am only trying to draw attention towards un- unspoken areas of the epic, uh, which hasn't got discussed there are some typical ways in which the epics have been introduced to us and they have traveled through various uh, patriarchal eras they have traveled through various research uh, heads and uh, we have tried to you know bind uh, the these stories in a politics of our choice uh, there is gender politics there is country politics there is culture politics there are so many kinds of politics and uh, we the researchers have tried to understand these stories from that perspective but the ethics or the mythological uh, or the philosophical hindu philosophy as a whole is so vast that as many number of retelling you do there is never an end to the kind of uh, reinterpretation of stories that you can get from these the more you read the more you see uh, you know uh, other stories emerging from those so my intention of doing the Sati series is to draw attention towards those interesting uh, moments which have got unnoticed and raise a discourse on those. For example, Hindu philosophy has given a lot of importance to nature and it considers nature more powerful than mankind. And hence, most of our gods and goddesses are various forms of nature. and. Mankind must bow down before nature and worship nature and make sure that nature sustains. If nature is disturbed, mankind will be violated. This simple, typical narrative has somewhere completely lost its sheen, and uh, when you look at it, Ahalya, for example, uh, for that matter, is completely. Uh, I mean, Ahalya, in fact, has been uh, critiqued. From that perspective, uh, that this uh, is—I mean—I think first post had uh, written a review which said that this is an eco-critical narrative. And when I was writing, that was uh, not—that was not the kind of politics that was going on in my mind. But I figured that that is what it had become. So I do believe that I am capable of uh, putting up those aspects of storytelling. In my understanding of these characters, you know, in raising a discourse on the feminine legends of uh, Hindu uh, philosophy. And when I say Hindu philosophy, I don't necessarily mean religion. I simply mean philosophy because my writing is more of philosophical romance, which has a lot more than religious contextualizing of uh, characters. I mean, I feel that when you religiously Contextualize a particular narrative or a particular character; it becomes much smaller. Right. These characters are way bigger than that. That is what I'm trying to achieve. Coral, you write uh, books uh, for getting women, for making women feel more empowered, or you write it for a change that you want, you know, in men and in our society. Uh, is there something that uh, you know you feel that you are doing? deliberately I don't think I'm doing anything for women empowerment in fact uh, this is a term that I don't believe in and okay. you know I treat this uh, term with a lot of anger and uh, I feel oh. insulted every time someone uses this because okay. I don't feel anybody has so much power to empower a woman, we are already empowered the ones that need empowerment is the man because they have been taught to look at uh, things in a particular way, you know, in many contexts in my life and in my uh, in the life of my friends and relatives, I have had to say this point blank: that when the house help doesn't come, the woman of the house doesn't become a house help. House is a place where everybody is living, so when the house help is absent, everybody must take up the job. Men need empowerment, you know. We need social empowerment. We need men empowerment. Hmm. Women are already extremely empowered. And yes, uh, what you say is correct, that in my writing, probably it is coming up in some way or the other, this belief is coming up in some way or the other, that women have, in their own way, taken up leadership uh, from a far more inclusive perspective. And uh, my books, are never typical male-bashing feminism. Rather, my books explore that kind of uh, feminine narrative, which shows how things can be far more progressive when the woman and the man are in sync.
0: So multifaceted, I mean, so many things you do,
1: have done. Are there any big mistakes in your career that you've made? There are so many. I am a house of mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I should write oh a book. I should write a book on the house of mistake. Uh, there are many. Uh, one being uh, that I should have uh, treated Biz as a business right from day one. But uh, you know, I am that uh, typical uh, Bengali who uh, doesn't think money first; thinks of the good work first. So uh, my interest was more on stories and that is the job that I had done. I should have focused more on the business aspect of it. That is one of the biggest mistakes uh, that I can tell you. Second is uh, I'm too bad at judging people. That is the reason I avoid confrontation. As I told you, that when you behave well with me, I take you as a good person, and I don't think that the person may might have other shades. And that is one mistake that I haven't learned from. I have still remained like that. I have. I still do uh, trust people on their face value. Ninety uh, percent of the times I uh, have met by design by. Uh, Divine Designs, I have met wonderful people in my life. 10% of the cases have been devastating for me, but it's okay. 90% and 10% is not something that I can complain about. But If I had to look back, I would probably have been a lot more calculated in that way. Another mistake that I can think of is uh, I didn't know my calling very early. So I was grappling with lots of um, career options and uh, writing wasn't something that i had ever taken seriously i never thought that i could be a serious writer or i could even be appreciated i mean i hid my writing in my personal diary if i knew that this could be a career option i and uh, i probably would have taken my life you know from anu and i this podcast is actually our journey and uh, to do to take a chance to put out some you know, thoughts of ours to speak to really interesting people such as you and talk about this whole template that we have of our lives. And we both talk about it. And I'm sure, you know, all of us who are friends and we always talk about our lives, what we want it to look like, you know, what we you know, want to do, are we doing it, what we want to achieve. And you've done so much. But can we safely say that you've achieved your life template? Would you say that? Uh, In a lot of way, yes. At least I have uh, taken the track that should lead to my life template. I know that I'm in the right track. Whatever I do, I will do here. Uh, I will not uh, digress much from here. And when I say here, it just doesn't mean uh, writing. It means art. Mm. I treat writing as as, uh, art. And art is something that I'm very, very closely
0: attached to it. Thanks a lot, Coral, for making time for our podcast. You certainly have taken a lot of creative chances. And Soila and I wish you the very best for your Sati series.
1: Thank you so much, both of you, for having me in here. And it was really, really amazing chatting with both of you. I was great really
0: listening Thank to you. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks so much.
1: We hope this podcast encourages you to follow your dreams. We will be back soon with more chance takers. Until then, have a good time
0: and like and share this podcast.